On May 25th, 2020, George Floyd took his last labored breaths while Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin knelt on his neck. What happened that night reverberated around the world. One year later, we reflect on how George Floyd's death galvanized a racial justice movement in Minnesota that was years in the making. And we look at what progress has been made since then. You're listening to George Floyd a year later. I'm Georgia Fort. On the evening of May 25th, 2020, 46-year-old George Floyd went to Cup Foods, a neighborhood convenience store at the corner of 38th and Chicago. He went in to buy some cigarettes. It was a beautiful spring evening, sunny and warm, but not yet hot and humid. Floyd laughed and joked with folks in the store. He talked sports with the clerk, 19-year-old Christopher Martin. After paying for his cigarettes, Floyd bounced out of the store light on his feet, and got into a car parked out front. Martin noticed the $20 bill Floyd used had a strange bluish tint to it and suspected it was fake. Cup Foods had a policy that if they found counterfeit bills in the cash register, clerks would have to pay for it out of their own pockets. After asking a manager what to do, Martin went out to the parking lot to ask Floyd to come back in the store. But Floyd was sound asleep. That's when the cops were called. 17-year-old Darnella Frazier was walking to the store with her niece and saw the cops with Floyd on the ground. She sent her niece ahead into the store and pulled out her phone to record what was happening. Bro, you got him down, man. Let him breathe, Lisa, man. Let him breathe. I've been trying to hear about it. So let breathe, let him breathe. Thanks to Frazier, the entire world was able to watch what happened next. They saw Floyd lying face down with his hands cuffed behind his back. They saw Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin pressing his knee into Floyd's neck for more than nine minutes, almost casually, with his hands in his pockets. Mama! Get up, get in the car, right. They watched as Floyd's initial cries of distress, saying he couldn't breathe, he, he was in pain, and at one point, even calling out for his dead mother. All eventually went silent. What's his name? George Floyd! What's his name? George Floyd! What's his name? George Floyd! What's his name? The brutality of the video unearthed layers of trauma, anger, and despair that had been building for years. In the days that followed, protests erupted in Minneapolis, across the nation, and across the world. Ultimately, a jury would find Officer Derek Chauvin guilty of murder, and many pronounced the verdict a significant win for police accountability. But how much has really changed? Here in Minnesota... George Floyd's death was just the latest in a series of high-profile fatal encounters for Black men with police. Back in November of 2015, 24-year-old Jamar Clark was shot by Minneapolis police. He died the next day. Within hours, protesters gathered at the 4th Precinct. The protest turned into an 18-day occupation, continuing right through Thanksgiving and into early December. 
Civil rights attorney Nakima Levy Armstrong, who was at the time president of the Minneapolis chapter of the NAACP, was there. And I believe that that has marked the turning point in Minnesota's history because it taught us we can withstand blizzards, we can withstand yeah. aggressive police, Come we can on, withstand white supremacy, and we can stand up for the life of a young Black man who deserved to be alive and to continue to fulfill his purpose upon this earth. Despite the occupation, neither officer was charged, and demands for police accountability grew. A year and a half later, on July 6, 2017, elementary school cafeteria worker Philando Castile was pulled over near the state fairgrounds. His girlfriend, Diamond Reynolds, and her four-year-old daughter were both in the car. We got pulled over for a busted tail light in the back. He's he's covered. He killed my friend. He's licensed. He's carried to. He's licensed to carry. He was trying to get out his ID and his wallet out his um pocket, and he let the officer know that he was re- he had a firearm and he was reaching for his wallet, and the officer just shot him in his arm. We're waiting for a back. I will, sir. No worries. The Ramsey County attorney charged Officer Euronimo Yanez with second-degree manslaughter and two felony counts for dangerous discharge of a firearm. It's believed to be the first time in Minnesota's history a police officer was criminally charged for a shooting that happened while on duty. But the jury acquitted Yanez on all counts. Demands for police accountability grew louder. And one with the rest of the emergency. Hi. Um, I can hear someone Just a month later, on July 15, 2017, Justine Ruschek was shot by Minneapolis police officer Mohamed Noor. She died 20 minutes later. Unlike Jamar Clark and Philando Castile, Ruschek was white, and the cop who shot her was Somali. Despite a lack of any footage of the event, Noor was found guilty of third-degree murder and second-degree manslaughter. He was the first police officer in Minnesota history to be found guilty of murder for an on-duty death and only the fourth in the nation. Ruschek's death was the beginning of an awakening for Minnesotans, that the judicial system can produce accountability when the victim is white. Demands for equal police accountability grew stronger. So when George Floyd cried out for help in that long, agonizing video with Derek Chauvin's knee on his neck, the community shifted quickly from horror and helplessness to anger, outrage, and action. I think about George Floyd. He hollered. He he said, Mama, 11 times. Kimberly Handy Jones's son was shot by police in 2017. The officers who shot him were never charged. She now supports other mothers whose children were killed by police. My son called me on the phone minutes before they killed him, and he said, Mama. So that just really, it, uh, it shifted my fight. It shifted my words. You know, it's always close to home, but I felt like at that very moment, It was in my home. And, you know, I always talk to mothers and they say, well, right now the focus is is George Floyd. And I say, well, if George Floyd is going to be the blessing that opens up the floodgates of justice, I'm in. I'm all for it. But I always remind them that George Floyd is the face of thousands that have went on before him. 
After having already experienced the deaths of Jamar Clark, Philando Castile, and so many others, the racial justice movement was better organized and better prepared than ever before to respond to the death of George Floyd. In late May and early June of 2020, thousands took to the streets in the Twin Cities to process their grief and demand change. The coronavirus had already taken hold in Minnesota, but organizers kept people masked up and hydrated. When darkness fell, there was also vandalism, arson, and looting. Dozens of buildings burned, including the third precinct. One person died. Governor Tim Walz called in 1,500 members of the National Guard, the largest deployment in state history at that time. And protesters denounced the aggressive, militarized response. In the aftermath, investigators would discover many of the fires were started by white people, some of them from outside the Twin Cities. Meanwhile, the site of George Floyd's death became a community gathering space. Residents like Marsha Howard worked together, renaming it George Floyd Square and turning it into a site for art, mutual aid, and protest. We're residents who were just sick and tired of being sick and tired. And it's our neighborhood, so we're the ones that sweep the the street. We feed people, we house the houseless. Howard is one of many activists who have made it their personal business to fight for change. In the years since the death of Jamar Clark, Black community leaders such as Jeremiah Ellison and Andrea Jenkins successfully ran for seats on the Minneapolis City Council. And soon after George Floyd's death, nine members of the council called for defunding the police department. The proposed ballot question was ultimately blocked by the Minneapolis Charter Commission. In July 2020, Governor Walz signed a new policing bill that banned chokeholds in most circumstances. Critics said the bill was weak and a far cry from the kind of real reform that was needed. Meanwhile, tensions continued to grow between authorities and communities seeking change. In November 2020, the Minneapolis Police Department arrested more than 600 protesters who had marched onto I-94. Then in December, Dalal Eve was shot and killed by Minneapolis police, just a mile away from where George Floyd took his last breath. The police then raided the home of his family, guns drawn. Only after they'd finished searching the home did they inform them that their son had died hours earlier. Police say Id shot first, and to date, no officers have been charged in the case. Demands for police accountability grew tired. We thought they learned the lesson until they killed our brother Dolat here in Minneapolis. And so that's why today and every day from today, we need to continue to demand for justice for Dolal, for George Floyd, for Jamar Clark, for Philando Castile, and for the thousands of lives, the thousands of lives that many people don't know their names because it wasn't recorded, because people didn't come out in this manner. Coming up, the trial of former police officer Derek Chauvin. You're listening to George Floyd a year later. I'm Georgia Ford. 
George Floyd A Year Later is a production of Racial Reckoning, The Arc of Justice, a journalism project created and supported by Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities in partnership with KMLJ Radio, the Minnesota Humanities Center, and with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. You're listening to George Floyd A Year Later. I'm Georgia Fort. May it please the court. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, good morning. As the trial for former police officer Derek Chauvin got underway, black Minnesotans were not just looking for justice for George Floyd. They were looking for signs that maybe, just maybe, Minnesota was capable of change. We need this system to know that we are watching. It's not just the Twin Cities. It's not just the state of Minnesota. It's not just the United States of America, but the whole entire world is watching this case. While the jury was still being selected, the city of Minneapolis announced a historic settlement with George Floyd's family for $27 million. Chris Stewart, an attorney working with the Floyd family, said the settlement set a precedent in how the justice system values black life. The number today changes evaluations and civil rights for a black person when they die. Because what you don't know is the rigged game that we always have to play when we take one of these cases. Because African Americans are not valued high when they are murdered by law enforcement in these cases. In comparison, Diamond Reynolds and Philando Castile's family received a total of $3.8 million in their civil settlement. Shamar Clark's family received just $200,000. The Derek Chauvin trial was broadcast live. As witness after witness took the stand, it became clear they'd been traumatized by George Floyd's death. When I look at George Floyd, I look at at my dad. I look at my brothers. I look at my cousins, my uncles, because they are all Black. I look at that and I look at how that could have been one of them. It's been nights. I stayed up apologizing and... And apologizing to George Floyd for not doing more and not physically interacting and not saving his life. But it's like, it's not what I should have done. It's what he should have done. The Minneapolis Police Department's own Chief Madera Arredondo denounced Chauvin's actions. That is not... Uh, part of our policy. That is not what we teach, and uh, that should be condoned. Chauvin's defense attorney maintained that it was George Floyd's drug habit and poor health that killed him, not the knee on his neck. Before the lawyers could make their closing arguments, another young, unarmed Black man died at the hands of Minnesota police. On April 11th, just a few miles away in Brooklyn Center, 20-year-old Dante Wright was out driving with his girlfriend when he was pulled over by police. He immediately called his mother to let her know. Moments later, he was dead. All he did was have air fresheners in the car and he told him to get out of the car. He got out of the car and his girlfriend said they shot him. Mm. He got back in the car and he drove away and crashed. And now he's dead on the ground since 147. Nobody will tell us anything. Wright's death forced many to reckon with the reality that nothing had really changed since George Floyd's death the previous spring. Again, here we are. When 
are these people going to stop? And at that point, demands for police accountability became relentless. The governor deployed 3,000 troops from the National Guard, twice as many as what had been deployed after George Floyd's death. For nights on end, protesters gathered at the Brooklyn Center Police Department. Protesters, journalists, and medics were met with tear gas, rubber bullets, and flashbangs. Within days, Kim Potter, the officer who shot Dante Wright, was charged with second-degree manslaughter. But community leaders said it wasn't enough. What happened to Dante Wright wasn't an accident. What happened to Dante Wright was murder. We are tired of this justice system, a system that works for white people and a system that does not work for people of color. However, Ben Crump, the attorney for George Floyd's family and now Dante Wright's family, said the swift charge was significant. We are making progress, and I want to encourage those protesters, those young people, those activists, that you're making a difference in Minneapolis, Minnesota, right here now, is ground zero for that change. Community activists continue to apply pressure with an increasingly unified voice. Jaylani Hussein, the head of the Minnesota chapter of the Council on American Islamic Relations and a devout Muslim, stood side by side in solidarity with Nakima Levy Armstrong, a devout Christian, calling for police accountability and meaningful public safety reform. On April 20th, after deliberating for 10 hours, the jury found Derek Chauvin guilty on all three counts in the murder of George Floyd. Neighborhoods erupted in cheers and honking horns. For the first time in Minnesota, a white cop is being held accountable for the killing of a black man. The next day, the Justice Department announced a widespread federal investigation into the Minneapolis Police Department. The City of Brooklyn Center announced a groundbreaking public safety resolution that would put policing under a new public health-oriented department. While certain efforts surged ahead, others lagged behind. Police reform bills at the state legislature were pushed back to a special session. Their fate still uncertain. One year after George Floyd's death, the intersection where he died remains closed to traffic. The Minneapolis mayor has said the city plans to open it back up soon. In the meantime, it continues to be a gathering place for people to grieve, celebrate, and reflect. Dr. Joy Lewis is a community healer and author. She says it's been beautiful to see the community stepping up to take care of one another. Ain't no Red Cross coming for us. When we are shot... Um, and killed by the police or by the state. Ain't no Red Cross coming for us. You know, ain't no people coming for us who's coming. They're sending in troops. It's going to be a war zone. They're closing down the grocery store. We become our own Red Cross. We create a healing environment for ourselves. That's what's happening. That's what the revolution is, is bringing. It's bringing us back to each other. The national spotlight on Minnesota over the past year has illuminated some painful truths. While Minnesota is widely considered a wealthy state with a great quality of life, it has one of the largest income gaps in the nation. Black families make on average just half the income of white families. 
foundations and other institutions are now funneling millions of dollars into Black-owned businesses and nonprofits. Artist Louis Blaze says a fire has been lit. We need to see a new birth of a nation, and that is our nation. That's when we restore ourselves as a people, as a culture, and get back to our identity, our history, right, and heal with one another. While we invest more time and energy into ourselves, into our self-care, into our love, into our healing, and then into our economical structure, I think the key is in unity. Like, whatever we do, we need to do it together. Blaze is part of a growing movement advocating for community solutions. The Minneapolis Police Department remains grossly understaffed and alternative public safety programs have yet to be put in place. Former officer Kim Potter goes on trial December 3rd. The state trial for the other officers involved in George Floyd's death has been pushed back to March 2022. The Justice Department has indicted all four cops involved in George Floyd's death, but a date has yet to be set for trial. The federal investigation of the Minneapolis Police Department is ongoing and demands for police accountability continue. I'm independent journalist Georgia Fort. George Floyd, a year later, was written and produced by Georgia Fort and Marion Combs with production assistance from Justice Sanchez and Aaron Warhol. George Floyd a Year Later is a production of Racial Reckoning, The Arc of Justice, a journalism project created and supported by Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities in partnership with KMOJ Radio, the Minnesota Humanities Center, and with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Online at racialreckoningmn.org.